0: Welcome into a special bonus episode of Chasing Interesting. I'm Craig Hoffman. Be back with Joe on Thursday for a regular episode. But we wanted to let you hear a discussion that I had over the weekend as part of a panel. It's a group that I helped co-found called Humans Not Hashtags. And we did our first ever event. It was awesome. Called Sweat Talk Vote. Sweat, we had a workout. And then talk, which is what you're going to hear, and vote, we checked everybody's voter registration and helped everybody that was there come up with a plan to vote. How were they going to vote? And you'll hear a little bit of that be referenced in this conversation. But the talk part was a panel discussion featuring Marcus Goodwin, who is running for city council in D.C., Cherise Crawford, who has been a city commissioner in D.C. for the last couple of years, and Dan Graziano, who is a owner of a small company here in D.C., small but growing, called Mighty Meals. It's a meal prep service. You can order their food, have it delivered to you. It's healthy. It's affordable. It's really terrific. Um, I have a lot of friends that actually use it. And so Dan was on the panel as well. And it was a cool mix of different people from different backgrounds, uh, different jobs, different professional responsibilities, different races, different incomes, different backstories. And we came together to have this discussion. And I admittedly I forgot to hit record as we first started so you're going to pick up mid-conversation here and the setup for what you're who you will be hearing uh, first is marcus uh marcus goodwin again and he is going to be talking about income disparities across racial lines and across different wards of the city that he has called home his entire life and how that has impacted his life so again you have marcus goodwin sharice crawford Dan Graziano, and me. The audio uh, luckily came out great considering we're all wearing masks, but if it's a little muffled, that's why uh, this was a live event. And uh, excited to let you hear it, even if you missed it. The only place you'll hear it is right here on Chasing Interesting. If you want more on humans, not hashtags, check us out on Instagram at not hashtags and uh, hope you enjoy this very
1: informative conversation. My mom lives in a house that she bought in 1993 for $69,000. Today, the city taxes her at an assessment of over 580,000, I think, was the latest assessment. And it's grown 4% a year, compounding every year her taxable assessment. But her income as a DC public school teacher has not grown 4% a year. So we really squeezed our working class population in the district with housing. We have really underserved and undereducated people in so many communities. I started, and I have seven siblings, we all started in D.C. public schools, in a school that did, only had one sports team. It was a boys' basketball team. We didn't have a soccer team. We didn't have an art studio. We didn't learn about sculptures. And thankfully, in high school, I was accepted and got a scholarship to a private school. We had, you know, three sports every year that everyone played. We had an art studio that I painted in every day of high school. We had... Uh, you know, a sculpture, you know, we, we were never underfunded for the arts, we were never underfunded for creative pursuits, we were never underfunded for sports, so it's a vastly different reality from what I came from, and I know that creating and achieving equity is recreating, reframing a housing system that works for all people, an education system that works for all people, and jobs and economic development that work for all people. You talked about the wealth gap, which is tremendous. The median black family in D.C. is $3,500 in net worth. The median white family in D.C. has $284,000 in net worth. In a 69-square-mile city, how is that possible? Um, The education gap is just as stark. It's 93% of white students in our public schools graduate on time, but only 68% of black boys and girls will graduate on time and 63% of Latino boys and girls will graduate on time, if they graduate at all. So we have really stark differences and dynamics that we need to start to have solutions to, and um, I'm focused every day on solving those by ensuring we have equitable funding and targeted solutions at um, getting people into a more comprehensive, enriching, nurturing educational environment and having housing and economic solutions that really help you afford to live here and not be systematically displaced. I
0: love that. And I I think one of the things that, as I've learned a lot more over the last couple of years, is understanding how these are all connected and understanding how the dots connect back through history, how redlining affects one thing, which affects another, which affects another, the the simplest one, if you're not familiar with what redlining is, basically housing restrictions, right? Then you can only live at a certain level and property taxes fund schools. That means schools are underfunded. That means it then circulates into the education issues that we're talking about. And that then limits your ability to get a better job, to get a higher wage, to be able to afford the health care, to afford food, to afford all these things. So these things are all connected, which is a larger conversation on politics as a whole and the idea of what progressivism or conservatism or whatever those words mean. But that is, uh, I think, I love how these answers tie together, and that that to me is one of the most important things. Sharice, I know you had something to add as well. I
2: just want to say thank you for that, Uh, because if you think about the compound effect of all of these realities layered on top of any one individual, any one family, and for those of us like myself and Marcus, and and tell me your name again, uh, Dan, and hearing from Dan who have been able to kind of rise up from just kind of feeling buried underneath so much disadvantage, right? And, and I'll never forget someone said to me, well, you know, you made it out. You know, why can't they? And I could not fathom, they couldn't fathom, that the problem was that there was something to make it out of. Not the fact that I had somehow found a bootstrap that I'm still looking for, by the way. I'm still looking for it. So have you seen those bootstraps? So, oh. Send them my way, okay? (laughs) But we're still looking for bootstraps and, and we need all of you as allies in this because some kid right now didn't eat, is not gonna have a meal this week and they're expected to virtual learn while their parents are not equipped to help them virtually educate. These are real problems and this virtual learning thing is not gonna work in our favor. They say when America catches a cold, black people get pneumonia. For every disenfranchisement, it seems, and, and there are problems around the world that we are not insensitive to, you know, and that, that there is that there's a responsibility for all of us to be humane first to support where we are right here so that we can go and be a global impact. But if we're suffering in our own space, it's difficult to make that global impact. So my call to action is for all of us to be in solidarity with those that are hurting the most in, in where we're currently living, which is, the greatest impact that any of us can make so that we can move about the country, so that we can make change. And you mentioned the the, the redlining and gerrymandering. We've been working with Higher Up and Get Strong Fitness to get people counted in the census. And would you imagine the same population of people who have all these levels of disparities are also the ones that are counted out the most? Meaning our communities are not counted. They're not, the federal dollars aren't making it to our schools. The federal dollars are not making it to our housing facilities. They're not making it to our grocery stores because we've only had one for as long as I can remember growing up in Southeast Washington. And these aren't just statistics I'm sharing with you. This is a call to action to say that this is a problem. And as long as people aren't healthy where I live, then people aren't gonna be healthy coming into our communities. And that's a problem for all of us. This is a global health pandemic that we're in right now, a global health crisis. And we really need all of us to figure out what can we do today to make an impact in our communities at large.
0: Without question. Uh, So what we want to do now is give you guys a couple minutes to answer that question yourselves, that original question. What question are you trying to answer? What problem are you trying to solve? So we'll give you guys about two, two and a half minutes. And then uh, I'd actually love to hear some of those, some of those, especially in question form. And then we'll try to answer them as a panel. So. Off we go. All right, let's, uh, let's bring it back up here and uh, bring it back to the panel. And uh, I was actually just reminded as I was talking to this group over here um, of something else we want to remind you of, uh, which is the ability to have a greater impact politically. I'm going to go back to the folks at Vote Save America and Cricket Media who do an incredible job. They've uh, created something called Adopt-A-State. Obviously, if you're a, at this point, thankfully, Virginia, I'm going to guess everyone here is probably a Democrat uh, because, you know, you care about the right direction of the world. Um, so if you go to, uh, if, if you're in Virginia like me, uh, you're actually a fairly safe blue state at this point. Let's vote and make sure, please. But where, if you're going to spend your time volunteering, you're probably better off spending it somewhere else. And what they've done is they've taken, I think it's the seven... Biggest swing states in the nation for the presidential election. Also, a lot of them have key Senate races. Uh, for instance, we were just talking about North Carolina. Uh, and they've let you adopt that state and they give you a guide to be able to make phone calls and volunteer. Obviously, and Marcus, I would love for you to talk about how you can do that on the local level. But if you're looking at the national election, you can go to VotiveAmerica slash adopt a state. And it's a great way to be able, in these last seven weeks before the election, make a huge impact by volunteering and spending your time in a place that it's actually going to matter. I adopted North Carolina. Um, I'm a native South Carolinian, so I was like, yeah, let me go up one. But, God, I would love to get Lindsey Graham out of office. Um, North Carolina happens to have a Senate uh, race as well. Cal Cunningham is is running to shout at Tom Tillis. Uh, They've got Arizona, which also has a Senate race. Um, But, yeah, if you volunteer uh, throughout any of those. Marcus, you have a a quick pitch on on how people can do that on the local level as well?
1: Uh, Yeah, and I think you... Correctly highlighted that, you know, Barack Obama won North Carolina, but Donald Trump in 2016 Mm -hmm. won North Carolina. So it's a very flippable state either way, and it's really going to come down really close in this election. So, you know, I'd say there or a Senate race in South Carolina, Jamie Harrison uh, against Lindsey Graham. And, like, you know, he's a really great foil, um, you know, and I think it's going to be a bellwether for the entire country what happens if you want to look outside of the state. But if you want to look locally— I'm running for DC Council at large. I'm in a field of 24 candidates. And we have uh, nonstop volunteer activity, whether that be um, volunteering at farmers markets, getting voters information, getting voters registered here, uh, because again, people just don't know how to register, that they should register local, that registering local even means anything. I think it took my father 40 years from South Carolina to be a DC voter and understand the value proposition of doing it. So. Sooner than that, I think it makes sense for everyone to get on board, uh, starting to know why it's critically important for each and every one of us to get involved in the local level. Um, you know, we do text banking, phone banking, everything's virtual. So volunteering locally or nationally pretty much looks the same at this point, except for, like, the farmer's market part of getting people one-pagers, telling them how to vote, what's going to be on their ballot, and what they need to fill out, how they do it in person. And I echo your sentiment of vote... Early. Do not wait till election day. The lines were five hours long in D.C. for the primary. So it was not well run in the primary election. Um, I wouldn't take the risk. I'd vote early, be safe, not be crowded by other people if you're going to and you really want to vote in person. Um, But, yeah, on the local level, there are plenty of opportunities. They look a lot like those national opportunities. Text banking, I will say, is a lot of fun. And especially now that I do it for my own election, it's like, you know... I don't know what the breakdown is. Seventy percent of people super nice, super cool. Twenty-five percent of people say opt out, stop, never text me again. And five percent of people are like, I don't like your candidate. It's a fun experience, though. So <laughs> I strongly support people when a text bank or call bank for whatever candidates they support. No doubt, Marcus.
2: Talking about swing states, you know, I, Kentucky comes to mind. Uh, ditching Mitch is not an option. It is a necessary. <laughs> Where my Mitch better have, what, Marcus? better have my money. Mitch better have my money. Uh, Mitch has to go to Kentucky. And, you know, my aunt, Florida always seems to be a problem child uh, every election cycle for us. You know, so we have friends on the ground in Florida. I kind of want to escape away anyway to the Sunshine State. So it makes sense for me to escape there to go do some political work. that's what I have for you guys. And
1: and I will say that the Republican Party is knocking a lot of doors across the country in swing states so it's really critically important if you're blue and if you're a Democrat not assuming anything here you really 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 need to you know we need to up the ante and step it up in our swing states because I think they're making a lot more in-person contacts um, and certainly it's not totally safe but you know, they say they're knocking on doors, stepping back eight feet, and having conversations with voters, and I can't deny that it's going to have an impact, and it's going to help them in those swing states. Without question. So, the, the adopt-a-state states, I'm doing this off the top of my head,
0: so hopefully I can get them all. Uh, Florida, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, uh, North Ohio. Carolina, and Ohio. Yeah, I think, I think are the seven that They've done Georgia's, a great one. You can always, like, reach out to the local Democratic Party or the candidate themselves to be able to do stuff like that. Georgia's got two Senate races as well as a lot of electoral votes. Texas is in play. They've got a Senate race there as well. So there's a lot of different plays. And I actually, I, you're welcome, Vote Save America. votesaveamericacom slash Ditch Mitch has a Senate fund that is distributing money to those Senate races. Uh, and then, yeah, Amy McGrath, uh, Air Force vet, amazing story, uh, is running uh, in Kentucky. So, definitely would support her if you can. So, uh, with that, who had a, a, that question we were talking about that they would like to share and that they would like us to chop up here on the panel? Go ahead. Uh, first uh, I want to something you said. Mm-hmm. I don't think- Sure. Um, here's what I'll say real quickly to the, the Democrat Republican thing. And that is, look, I have no problem being partisan. I am based off of where the two parties currently align. The best analogy I've heard on politics in regards to this is it's not like dating. You're not looking for someone to marry. You're looking for, it's public transportation, <laughs> right? If you need to get from here to the other side of DC, pretend COVID's not a thing for a second. Happiness is great, isn't it? So pretend you have to get to the other side of DC. You don't have a car you're taking public transportation. If there's not a train that gets you exactly where you want to go, are you just not going to go? No, you're going to get on the train that gets you closest there and then you'll make up the work. And this is what Charisse was talking about earlier is then you need to then pressure the people that you put in power and it's about who are you wanting to pressure. For me, the way my values align, and this is something we're going to talk about more in a second, how do we get our, our morals to match our laws, but... For me, the, where my values align, the Democratic Party is the one that is, act, is much closer to where I want to be and the ones that are pushing policy to what I want. And whether they care altruistically or not, I honestly don't care. It's nice when I feel like I'm voting for someone who's a good person, but I care about what policies you pass because those are the things that are going to impact my life, and I'm going to take the train that gets me as close as possible. Yeah,
2: that's a really great analogy, and I'll just be very, you know— uh, keeping it real with you guys, you know, people will say, well, how can you vote for Joe Biden when he led mass incarceration? And I think about the impact of mass incarceration that still plagues black families to this day, that are still people who have not been rehabilitated. They cannot earn income. Their records show them as still being criminals, that they did all their, they paid all their time. They paid all their dues to society and they still can't vote. So these are very real Concerns that we're facing, and I look at this in a position to say, well, when we go to the Biden administration and we say this is what you need to be accountable for, we say this is where you all have, have, have gravely unjust served us an unfair sentence. You must reconcile. So my position is about reconciliation. And that's why I apply pressure to reparations and restorative justice because it is about reconciling in this country and that this party, this organization seems to be willing to say, we're going to accept accountability. That's the other part of the bipartisanship is that who's willing to accept accountability? You can't accept accountability if you're not willing to acknowledge the injustice that's done. And that's the unfortunate part about the Trump administration and the Republican candidacy. They don't want, you know, what, what racism, where's that? That doesn't live here. You know, so, so when you're turning a blind eye, I can't say I need you to be accountable. But when you're willing to, to confront and come face to face with a problem you help create, then we can say these are accountability measures that we must put in place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's get to your second part, though. When you wake up in the morning, it sounded like some of you guys had this, like specifically the black community in D.C. I want to make lives better for those people. How do you go about
1: solving those problems? Marcus? Uh, So so I'll dip into one issue, and it kind of dovetails with what Mighty Meals is doing. Right now, does anyone know what Hook Hall was 20 years ago? Murray's. Murray's. It was a grocery store. It's a grocery store I grew up going to. And there were many Murray's east of the Anacostia River. But today, there are 162,000 residents in Ward 7 and 8 Ward 7 is 92% African American, Ward 8 is 96% African American, and there are only 3 grocery stores. That makes it one of the worst food deserts in the entire country. So for us to see that we have this injustice in the capital of the wealthiest nation on earth means that we need to be able to get together and solve these problems and I know that the city has tried but really has not made effective efforts in creating the economic circumstances that will make sense for grocery stores to be there. And the excuse that, oh, grocers make their calculations of median income and they decide where they want to go is not a good excuse. Because there are very, very, very many poor white communities around the country where Giant will go, where Food Lion will go, where Safeway will go. So there's no different than the community that we have here in the district, with so much wealth and so much population density. Um, I want to focus our resources on ensuring that we are backing, supporting, and even on city-owned property, investing, in getting more grocery stores built in these communities. Because the negative health care impacts of people shopping at corner stores and getting most of their nutritional value there, shopping at small restaurants that are takeouts or carryouts, getting their nutritional value there causes hypertension high blood pressure, diabetes, the list goes on, Um, heart issues. So we all need to be a part of the solution. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to be sitting next to a healthy food entrepreneur because uh, that's really a part of the equation in ensuring that people are living a healthy quality of life. When we see that there's a higher prevalence of all of these health issues in these communities, it's no mistake. It's by design, and it's because we failed in providing the options.
3: Dan? <laughs> be like, Retweet, I'm a little out of the league right here with, you, with sitting between these two, but um. Guy, man.
1: What's up? <laughs> you're, you're actually solving
3: the problem. I, solving I'm trying to. Well, and just well, just coming up here too. It's a, it's a good for me to network with other individuals in here that actually like can do something more than just provide food, like like I do. So, so that's. Well, it's important, yeah, but you guys are, like, at the forefront where I'm, like, kind of like, all right, well, where do you, where do you need me? So well, I, I, I think, think
1: it's, it's a collaborative it's, effort, honestly, because, right. like, on a higher programmatic level, we need to get healthy foods into people's hands, uh, in the communities. Amen. You know, Ty does this kind of work, too. Tyler does yep. with, you know, UPO, providing healthy foods to families and communities. And really, on a higher level, we need to be thinking about our synergies on how do we get healthy foods into the hands, into the homes of people who really are suffering from not being able to access uh, mighty meals. And if we're in a position, and we're economically empowered with the highest per capita budget in the country, the 2021 budget for DC is $16.7 billion, highest per capita in the country of any major city. Uh, Those are the kinds of solutions we got to work toward. And I can't even cook myself a meal I'm a terrible chef. we we'll so. have to get you some food ASAP. I definitely <laughs> need
2: you. I think that Mighty Meals is a prime example of a, a very need-based business. And we were chatting earlier with you saying, hey, i am finally gotten to the point where my business is taking over for itself because this is a need-based reality. People are, especially my generation, you know, we're being more intentional with eating our fruits and vegetables and why we needed land to grow Fresh fruits and vegetable, and how DC land is completely commercialized. So I, I had an actual elected official tell me that land to grow agriculture was not a good use of space. This is what we're up against in real life. Like the process, and and so finding healthy food options, doing urban gardening, getting the proper grocery stores that support local gardeners, local growers, to put those fresh fruits and produce in the stores, showing kids how to eat healthier at a younger age, which is a school lunch program initiative that we're working on with the Don't Mute My Health campaign. And I think to answer the original question about getting your day started, one of the things that uh, Get Strong Fitness did was starting the day with meditation. You know, I think that when if, if young kids in our community could find some time to get still because the, our, our diets are running rapid, our hypertension is running rapid, uh, people are just kind of not able to really focus in in this, in this current climate of there's so much being, there's so much oversaturation of images and media and pictures and videos. Getting our minds still so that we can, so that our food obviously can do the processing that it needs to do, and then our, our brains can function the way it's supposed to, to think through some of the solutions that, or the, the problems that we're facing, and so I really love the meditation piece for me this morning. I got I, I woke up and saw an image of 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 T'shalla, not T'Challa. What's my other Black Panther friend? Uh, he Michael does the he, B. Michael B. Jordan. There you go. Rest in peace, T'Challa. <laughs> in real life, um, but to think about getting still with ourselves, oneness with ourselves, I would love that to be a normal thing for kids in the community that I'm from, because most of them don't have an opportunity to be still, to not have to worry about being the fathers of their homes at 15, to not have to worry about you know who's, what they're going to eat for dinner and they're already kids. So these are things that, that deeply ties into the health conversation that I really feel like supports the larger claim of food equity and food justice and why Mighty Meals is just an important asset to all of our communities. And so I'm happy to make that connection. there.
0: Awesome. And Marcus, I know you got to run because you got another event. So uh, anything you want to add real quick on the way out before uh, I'll I'll follow up on that. But anything real quick?
1: Well, I think we just need to be collaborative in our solutions. And I think It's really important that each and every one of us knows that we all have the impact, we all have the power to change our society. We all have the impact, we all have the power to impact the presidency, the Senate, the governors in our states, the D.C. Council, the mayor's office, we're all approximate. I just turned 31 last week, but certainly... Happy birthday! I I don't do a whole birthday month, I barely do a birthday, but um, I know that no matter what age you are, I think one people thing people don't understand is really truly their power, their voice, and their potential impact. And my mom has been more influential in DC politics than many people that we've all read about. Uh, But people don't know that she is that level of influential of a person. Um, And it's really all being motivated, being engaged, being focused, knowing what's going on, doing your due diligence, doing your research. Um, So I just encourage everyone to get involved. And in your own right, you know, connect with me, connect with Dan, connect with Cherise. Uh, Chris, did I drop that ball on that? Sorry? Chris? Craig. Craig. I'm sorry, we just met today. Yeah. Um, but connect with everyone who is really actively on the grounds, in the weeds, everyday focusing on these issues, and make sure that you find out what your true power is, unleash your true power. Some people are phenomenal on text messaging, And we've just found that out through our campaign. Some people are great meeting people. Some people are awesome on the phones. But everyone has a special power. You just have to have faith and explore and unlock and unleash it. So uh, I hope everyone gets involved because we have 51 days to change the country. And if you're not, if you don't have a seat at the table, you're on the menu. So get your seat at the table. Get involved. (laughs) I love
0: that. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it, Marcus. And we'll let Marcus bounce out. We'll keep going on our panel.
2: So I have about ten more minutes of great insight in me, and um, I definitely want to maximize the time. And uh, you know, when I when I talk about the the claim for HR forty and uh, our justice claim, we're currently taking that resolution to do a press conference to to call to action the the House Judiciary Committee. To move the resolution, to move the the legislation out of committee, and this is what I mean by it's more—it's beyond the polls. These are actions that are beyond the polls that should be happening consistently when we identify areas that need to be addressed that are just kind of lagging or sitting in committee or 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 not being addressed. And HR forty is one of those. For me, this group has been a phenomenal uh, asset with that within this conversation. There have been so many organizers from around the country, and I'll tell you guys this: I was I helped to build the National Museum of African American History and Culture. I was a founding and thank you member. Seriously, of yeah. So that was a that was a big that was a big deal. <laughs> I didn't I didn't I didn't tell you guys this last time. Uh, and so my office was the office of strategic partnerships, and what what I was doing as a strategist was providing resources for all other smaller black museums that felt like once our museum came to fruition, it would put them out of business, right? So that means that we were the big guys in town, we had a responsibility to look out for the small people. And that puts all of us in position to say, where are you the big person in your life? Where am I the big person in my world? And what is my social responsibility for those around me that are the smaller fish that are just getting neglected in the pond. And so I had a, I had a colleague, she says to me, Sharice, she was a white colleague, racism isn't your problem. Mm-hmm. She said racism is our problem, and I'm going to go, and she went in my place to a march for black people. She said, I'm going to go on your behalf because you need to make sure your body is rested. And I had never had such a transparent conversation like that in my life, and it, it transpired. Formed everything I thought I knew and I thought to myself this woman is a true ally in the fight against saving black bodies and so I was very fortunate for that I'm fortunate for all of you being here just to listen to just a radical act that people are doing uh, around the country and so we just appreciate you being allies.
0: Absolutely and so that's actually the answer to the question that we originally asked right for me is to use my privilege not lie on it And what I mean by that is to have conversations with people that I know I can have conversations with. Let's be very real about this. White people can talk to white people easier than black people can. And if racism is not a problem for black people, it is a problem that white people put onto black people, then it should be up to the white people to solve it as much as the black people, right? So one of the things, the the people I talk to a lot, I'm really lucky, um, some of you may know Clinton Yates from ESPN, he happens to be one of my best friends. And Clinton always tells me, he goes, talk to your people. Talk to your people, talk to your people, talk to your people. And it's tough. My dad and I had it out last weekend. He was up here. It's like, oh, great to see you. And we got into a pretty intense conversation. And it's not the first time. But every time I can chip away a little bit. And it's not like my dad would, you know, it's, it's one thing that if, you know, your dad or your uncle, it's always the uncle, right, who's the Trump voter, right, It's going to ruin Thanksgiving. My dad's a he's just moderate. I just don't think he understands the depth of the problem and how those dots connect. But it's my responsibility to have that conversation with him, which actually leads to something else I want to talk about. We're going to kind of combine a couple topics because we are running a little heavy. But one of the, one of the things that we were talking about in this conversation, we, we talked about this event, and he goes, okay, well, you want to have different people's views represented. Why don't you have a white supremacist come on the panel? And You take a second, you're like, wait, what? It would be a different view, right? But my answer to him was this. I think a lot about Martin Luther King's quote from his letter in a Birmingham jail, 1964. The biggest hurdle, the biggest obstacle to solving racism, to equality, is not the Klan member. It's not the white supremacist. It is the moderate white who is more concerned with order than justice. And that's my answer. My answer of why we don't have a white supremacist sitting up here is not just because that person has no business with their views being spewed. It's because they're not going to change their mind and they're not going to change their actions. If you figure that out, please tell me. I, try, I spend a lot of time thinking about how do we get through to the people who live in Fox News World. I haven't come up with a good answer yet. But the people that we can affect are the ones that we have relationships with, who we have trust with, who from a value standpoint agree with us, but don't understand the depth of the problem to do the work to actually solve them. So that's, that's my answer to that question. How do I try to help underserved, underprivileged communities, specifically communities of color, specifically black community in D.C., in the DMV? It's by using my privilege in a way that's actually effective, by having conversations with people who wouldn't. Because here's another thing, too. We're way more segregated than people realize. Think of the neighborhood you grew up in, how many people from another race, we're in it. So if you are lucky enough, Jason's holding up a big old zero. I lived in one of the biggest sub- subdivisions in Greenville, South Carolina. Fairly diverse place, especially by South Carolina standards. But the neighborhoods themselves didn't mix. So if I have been lucky enough to live a life where I'm surrounded by diversity and I don't share those conversations I get to have with Corey and Jason, with Clinton, with Brandon... With people like Sharice, people like Marcus, and i don 't share those with people who don't have those conversations, then i'm not doing my part so that's that's my answer to that question. And
2: you know what I appreciate the most is that this is such genuine conversation in here that there's nobody blaming anybody here today like we're not this is not about oh, this is your fault that this is a problem here, and I think that that just takes the the, the kind of stigma away that the, you know, and I hear Mitch say, well, nobody's alive today that benefited. You know, shut up, Mitch, okay, because <laughs> they are, there are people alive today that benefited. We're all benefiting from what happened. There are people who directly benefited, but this is not to say that you created the problem.
0: I'll raise my hand and say I did. You, you, I, I will what, I will What share did you do? Did you create it? I, I will share a very quick story on my career that is a great example of my privilege. So... I don't know if y'all know much about radio, but they don't pay you very much, right? So my, it was basically my first real job out of college. I was super lucky. I got to take a job in Dallas, Texas, working for ESPN radio, less than a year after graduating. It's a big time job, right? Yeah, they pay me like nothing. I almost cussed, but I won't. All right. I was making $25,000 in Dallas, Texas. You want to know why I could take that job? because my family had generational wealth. Not like we're rich, but there were enough that my, I remember having a conversation with my mom and she goes, look, if it's going to be tough, I know. Do it on your own, but we'll never let you live under a bridge. If you're black, even if you have the same broadcast journalism degree from a great university that I went to in Syracuse, even if you have the same skill level, even if you're better than me, if you can't afford to live in Dallas, Texas on $25,000 a year, Because your family can't bail you out If you can't make rent one month Then you can't take that job I was good at my job I deserved to have it But that doesn't mean I get to take the job Without my privilege of having that to fall back on So yeah I benefited from the system And my family didn't get here until the 1900s We weren't around for slavery We weren't around for all that It doesn't matter I benefited That's how
2: sharing about, as an entrepreneur, the kind of process, you know, you were just sharing in care, but I think that it's, that's something really great for the audience to hear about your process of, you were sharing about your business yeah, yeah, yeah. Process, and, and it still takes time. Yeah, absolutely. No,
3: it's, it's taken about it's five years, so I'm finally at the point where I know, like, my bills are getting paid. We're a pretty stable company, so now it's like I was on the lookout for, for my, my personal well-being, and mm-hmm. now I'm in a position now where, like, all right, what can I do in my own community to kind of help? Like, where, where can I fit in, you know, to assist where, where needed? Granted, it might be small, but it's, it's something. I feel like that's, that's got to be important, especially when we're talking about all the wealth and uh, the health issues and stuff, too.
2: And that's another thing. There's no small contribution. Like, if you have bylaws, you write a press release, you want to contribute with make writing a statement a rebuttal I mean there's no small contribution you know you have access to an organization that wants to you know help provide banner support there's all tons of ways to be involved in this process that doesn 't require um, <clears throat> us to overextend ourselves because the smaller pieces is what makes the difference when you 're building something significant and something massive and so I just want to thank all of you for all of your contributions up until uh, today up until this point because all of it matters.
3: Well, I, I do also think too, like, it, people want big change on a macro level, but it takes it at a micro level to start. You can't just expect something big to change overnight. But if we can work in like, our own little communities, or like, just do your part and within your like, network of people, that's a start. And hopefully that, that's like, contagious within that network that they want to do their little part. So like, over time, that, ma- that micro has become a macro. At the, at the end. And yeah. one of
2: the things I work with Tyler with, you know, he has a special mm-hmm. skill in communications. You know, I'll, hey, can you write a press statement or can you write a media release? Those are areas that are not my expertise. And I think that I've become very comfortable with saying, I'm not that great at this. Let me find allies who can support in that process in the movement. And that's really where the collective comes to play. And it doesn't take 10,000 people, a group of five people, a group of 10 people. Can make an impact of 10,000
0: right and you know you talk about the micro macro thing right well thing x solve racism no well thing y solve racism no well thing z solve racism no but if we do all of them then eventually we're getting somewhere so you know it's like it's like if you have a leak in your roof and there's like seven different points to where the water's coming down are you just not going to plug one of them like ah that didn't solve it I'm still getting wet. No, you solve one and then you plug over here and plug over here and eventually you're not getting wet anymore. So the little things add up. The other thing, and I would love to kind of wrap up with this thought before we kind of, I guess, ultimately break out into small groups and everyone hangs out for as long as they want. But Republicans especially love to talk about public-private partnerships, right? And for them, it's like, let's give Raytheon $3 billion to build a missile. I'd love to see some money go to Dan to subsidize food in low-income communities, to to subsidize food in in food deserts, where he's a local business owner. If I'm going to have government money being spent with private companies, I'd like to see it be local and help people who need it, not drop a bomb on someone half a world away, right? So, Sharice, I would love for you to talk about because one of the questions that we have, we've gone long and luckily we'll be able to do more of these. We're going to do some more sweat talk boat events online and things like that. So there will be more of these conversations to come for sure, but we can kind of wrap up with this for today. How do we actually get our public officials to do those kinds of things to, to solve the problems that we've spent the last 45 minutes talking about? How do we effectively hold them accountable and get as we said earlier, our laws to match our morals and our values?
2: You know, I like where you started with Mighty Mills, because i like to see a Mighty Mills table set up in the heart of Southeast D.C. with this exact same fitness activation, with this exact same conversation. Jason, sounds on, like we're doing another event.
0: On, on
2: my block that doesn't see this kind of human engagement. This is never, this was never something I saw growing up. And now to be a part of these more frequently, I think, and can realize that, wow, we need this kind of unity. We need this kind of engagement. We need this kind of exposure. And to top it off with some mighty meals that we can get. And those are called, we call them direct actions. And then I'll invite my friends that are, that are the politicians that, that, that say, oh, yes, what can we do, Sharice? Where do we need to show up? How can we stand out? I'm going to invite them out to these events and say this is what it looks like to be boots on the ground in a community that needs food access, health access, resources, program, mental health support, and you name it, you know, to be showing up in these communities to sign up for resources right there on the spot. So I feel like that's a direct action that I can see clearly, you know, without overwhelming you with a bunch of other lists of things that I can think of today, but just something as simple as a fitness activation and conversation with with the food from Mighty Mills, of course. Little victories. There you go.
0: Little ones add up. Uh, other things you can do. Call Congress. Your Congress people will listen to the things that they're being told about. If their phones are getting inundated by one thing, they will listen. They will go, oh, this is important. I At the end of the day, they're about survival. They want to keep their jobs. So if everyone's calling about the same thing, they're like, oh, I better do something on this to keep my job, right? So that's one thing. Uh, if you prefer text, uh, there's something called ResistBot, which is great. It will automatically formulate letters, whether text or email, to your Congressperson. Um, and I think you can do for local as well on those. So that's a great service. We,
2: we did that with HR 40 and defund MPD. We literally created, no, I'm not going to say we, there was a link created because I need to learn how to do that myself. <laughs> and you click on the link and it instantly creates an email that you can copy and paste and anybody can share it with the same, and you obviously yep. edit the conversation to, your, to curtail your specific needs. But those are the kinds of, of, of small supports That just make a big difference because there's so many of us that want okay what is my email supposed to say well what do i say when i call dc council i mean how many times have you heard that and so those types of simple ways to get a message out really makes an impact on large and on local and large scales
0: absolutely and white people talk to your people that's your job uh we are proud to announce exclusively in this room right now that we have our second sweat talk vote uh program on the calendar it will be october 11th so if you want to come hang out get a great workout lay on the floor for 20 minutes dead and then have a conversation about things um we are also working on online versions of sweat talk vote uh so we'll do those via zoom uh gabby can't wait to do that so um spark by gabby or now just spark because jason also teaches spark classes we'll we'll have some of those and dates and everything available soon um, again thanks to hook hall thanks to Momentus, thanks to sweat thanks to all of you and uh you are more than welcome to hang out for the next 40 minutes exactly where you are if you want to stay beyond that talk to your servo they'll, they'll get you set up outside and uh, thank People you for get coming with everybody yeah let's let's get a group photo and uh thank you
2: you guys rock keep changing the world